The Guardian. Have you ever looked up at the stars and contemplated if we're alone? If out there in the infinite, there are other worlds, like Earth, supporting life and waiting to make contact. It's a question that has beguiled everyone from writers to artists for centuries. And unsurprisingly, it's also drawn the attention of scientists. Some of this scientific thought has centred on the Drake Equation, theorised way back in 1961 to estimate the number of extraterrestrial civilizations in the Milky Way. But estimates from this equation vary wildly. Now scientists from the University of Nottingham say they've come up with an ingenious new way of looking at the calculation that is throwing up rather more precise answers than you might expect. We used to think the sun was the centre of the universe, but we of course don't think that now. We used to think our galaxy was the centre of the universe, we don't think that now. So we're taking it even further and saying that our own existence as an intelligent communicating species is not unique and that it will also happen in other places if the right conditions are there. I'm The Guardian science reporter Nicola Davis, and this is Science Weekly. So I'm just going to make sure I've got my microphone in the right place. There we go. Okay. I spoke to Professor of Astrophysics at the University of Nottingham, Chris Consolis. Chris, how does a scientist end up spending their time thinking about aliens? Well, it's really one of the biggest questions that we haven't answered yet. It's one of the things that we've been wondering about as a, a species for thousands of years. And we still don't have an answer to it, but we're learning more and more about how we might be able to answer it. And it's one of those things that is just, if you if you really are able to think about it and and do something about it, you really, really should, because it's such an important question. So that's how I have looked at it. And that's why I wrote the paper I did. So scientists, as you say, have engaged with this question in the past, and they've used something called the Drake Equation. Can you just refresh our memories? What is the Drake Equation? So the Drake Equation is an equation which was developed about 60 years ago by Frank Drake, who is an American astronomer, as a way of coming up with some idea of the number of communicating civilizations that might exist within our own galaxy. And it has various terms. And these terms are things like the average star formation rate of the galaxy, and how many stars have you formed per year on average, the fraction of stars with planets, the fraction of planets which form life, the fraction of that life which informs intelligent life, the fraction of that intelligent life which becomes a communicating intelligence, and the final term is the lifetime of the civilizations. And this is really one of the more interesting things about the Drake Equation. How long do these civilizations actually last? And how long are they sending out signals into space that can be found by ourselves, which can then interpret it as intelligent life in another planet? And when I say a planet, what I mean is a planet around a star which can host life. What are the limitations of the Drake equation? Why, why did you want to go back and look at this? I mean, this equation, as you say, has been around since 1961. But what are the drawbacks and problems with it? The problem with the Drake equation is that you really have to find intelligent communicating life to really solve it. There are terms in it like the fraction of planets which form intelligent life and the fraction of those planets which develop communicating intelligent life. 
which there's no way of ever knowing unless you actually do a survey and know what fraction of planets have intelligent life and what fraction have communicating intelligent life. So it's really only a way to have some kind of, let's say, guesstimate of what the likely number is based on what you think those terms might be. So we took a very different approach. We simplified a lot of those things in the Drake equation and made a very simple assumption, which can be tested later when actually the search for extraterrestrial intelligence finds communicating aliens, which is where we made the assumption that if you have a planet going around a star which is at least as old as our own sun, and this planet is in the so-called habitable zone, which is the zone around a star where it's not too cold and not too hot so that life can form and develop just like it has on Earth, then you will, over this period of time, develop a communicating intelligence. And so this is a big assumption, but it also is based on a scientific view of life in the sense that if you have certain conditions in science, like in chemistry and physics and biology, you always get the same result. It's not a random process. So why should life be different from that? So that's really where we're changing things is where we're making that assumption that life will just develop naturally as an outcome of the right conditions being present on a planet. Am I right in thinking that's called the astrobiological Copernican principle? Is that right? It sounds like quite a mouthful, but that's the gist, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we call it. And the reason is, is because the Copernican principle essentially started with uh, Nikolai Copernicus, who was the first person to say that the Earth was not the center of the universe. And it's essentially taking it further and saying, well, our existence, our life, our intelligent life, our communicating intelligent life isn't just some rare random process, but is a natural part of science. And therefore, we're not unique in that respect. Just like Copernicus started getting away from the idea that the earth was a unique place, which uh, progressed through the centuries more and more. We used to think the sun was the center of the universe, but we of course don't think that now. We used to think our galaxy was the center of the universe. We don't think that now, etc., etc. And so we're taking it even further and saying that our own existence as an intelligent communicating species is not unique and that it will also happen in other places if the right conditions are there. I mean, inevitably, this is based on a sample size of one. I mean, really, yeah. only, uh, only intelligent uh, communicating life form, indeed, intelligent life form, or any life form that we know of at present. Uh, is there a possibility that this is, you know, you say this is a big assumption. Uh, could it be that actually life does develop differently or, or that perhaps it doesn't develop in, at the same pace or in the same ways as it does here on Earth? Yeah, absolutely. It, sure, it certainly could. And... This is one of the main points of our work is to discuss that issue and to say, if you do a SETI search, and this will happen one day, and you're able to say, well, we looked through our entire galaxy and we found a density of systems that are aliens communicating, you can compare that with our calculations, which make this assumption, and you can come up with some conclusions about the development of our own life. So if life is very easy to develop, that is, if it, it doesn't require the same conditions that we have, but can form in many different ways, then you would expect life to be very abundant throughout our galaxy. And we may indeed find that. That would be really exciting, of course, if that happened. Uh, I certainly hope it does. That'd be really cool. Let's talk about a few of the other things that have gone into your kind of reworking, as it were, the Drake equation. You've also got some other data in there, which which is sort of fairly new. Can you just explain... What other things have gone into to your work before we talk about the findings? 
we've learned in the last decade a lot about our galaxy. We learned a lot about planets. We've learned that planets exist and that there are now thousands of extrasolar planets that we can detect and we can determine what fraction of those planets are in the habitable zone of other stars. And this is a big advance that only happened in the last few years. But we found that about maybe 20% or so of all stars have a planet in this habitable zone where life can form at the right temperatures. Also with other things, such as the fact that we now know the star formation history of our galaxy, that lets us determine how old stars are within our galaxy. This is something that was certainly not known or understood at all in the 1960s. And the key to that is that you're able to determine how many stars in our galaxy could be old enough to host life like our own, because we know it took about 5 billion years for life, intelligent life, communicating intelligent life to form on Earth. So if you think that we are part of a scientific process, we as in humanity, then it should take a similar amount of time to form on other stars. So we now know about the star ages, we know about the number of planets, the number of planets in the habitable zone, and we know about what's, what was never considered in the Drake equation, but we did add this in our equation, the fraction of stars which have a high metal content, because you need these metals to make intelligent communicating life. And so by putting all that together, we can just use that one simple assumption about how life will form after 5 billion years or so, then we could come up with a number which is much more robust than anything the Drake equation could ever come up with. So let's get on to the key findings. And this is what everyone really wants to tune into is how many intelligent communicating alien civilizations are there in the Milky Way, Chris? Okay, so uh, first of all, I'll say I don't know the answer to that. I, <laughs> I, I certainly am not claiming that there are definitely a certain number, uh, certainly not 36, which has been uh, one of the big headlines in the media about this. So 36 is the number that we we get when we do our calculation based on our assumption about the number of civilizations that are communicating that are like us within our galaxy. But there is an error in that, of course, and the error in that is, is an uncertainty. And the uncertainty is just based on the fact that we don't know for sure, for example, uh, how many stars are in our galaxy. Unbelievably, this is something which is still not completely known. And uh, there's uncertainties in the number of planets in the habitable zone. So there's these uncertainties, which is just a natural part of science, a natural part of doing experimental astronomy, where you never know these numbers for sure. So when you fold in those uncertainties into the calculation of the number of potential communicating extraterrestrial civilizations, you find 36 is the central number, but there's a range which goes from a couple to a couple of 100. So what are the chances that we're actually going to be able to communicate with them or to pick them up and for them to pick up our signals? It's not very good. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I got into some trouble with people who actually search for aliens because they don't like this low number that we found. And if you have 36, then the nearest one would be about 17,000 light years away, which is really far for these kind of searches for intelligent life, which are going on now. So things like the Breakthrough Project, Listening Project, that is only going to look for life around 1 million stars. And that's really a very small fraction of the total number of stars. And it certainly will have a very hard time finding anything if our 36 number is correct. 
signals like what we send off into space from Earth. If you ask the question, well, what if alien civilizations are sending out very similar signals to what we are, then you really would not be able to detect anything greater than about 10 light years or so. And 10 light years is really close. That's, that's very, very close in astronomical terms. So the likelihood of finding anything, I think, is really not great in the immediate future. And also, if something at 17,000 light years is sending out signals to us and we detect it, then if we want to communicate with it, that civilization, we would have to send a signal back, which would then take 17,000 years because the signal we send off to them would have to go at the speed of light. And that would take 17,000 years to reach them. And then if they wanted to answer, it would then take 17,000 years for the answer to reach us again. So that'd be 34,000 years. And that's it's not exactly Twitter, is it? No, not at all. <laughs> no, we get, we get kind of used to things being instant. But for communicating with alien technologies, it will really be a problem because of the vast distances. The other problem with this is that if something is 17,000 light years away and it only survives for a couple of hundred years, let's say, as a communicating uh, technology and then somehow ends up being destroyed. By the time we get that signal 17,000 years after it's sent out, that civilization is, is now gone because they've only lasted a few hundred years, or even if they've lasted a thousand years, they still would be long gone by the time we get the signal. So it's kind of a sobering thought and uh, a little bit um, sad in a way to think that that might be actually what's, what's going on with any kind of external alien civilizations. So where does this leave us? You know, What's the upshot? Again, as you've said, it's not like we can actually see these civilizations yet or haven't spotted any. So where, where does this leave us? How does it take us forwards? This paper and this work is really meant to be used in the future. So one day when we actually do a survey of our galaxy, we can say we found this many past communicating alien extraterrestrial life forms in our galaxy, then we can compare with the results from our work and we can say a few things about where we're going and where we came from. So, for example, if we find that there are very few civilizations within our galaxy, that is that there's very few communicating extraterrestrial civilizations, that would mean that the lifespan, the average lifespan of civilizations that are communicating is very short. So by searching for alien communicating life, we're actually looking at our future. We're actually finding out how long we might survive as a intelligent highly technical civilizations because we really just started doing it. We're only a hundred years old and that's a very small, very small fraction of the lifetime of the galaxy or even of how long we've been a species. And how does work on alien civilizations sit in the scientific community? Is it seen as a bit of a, a frivolous exercise? Is it seen as something that's, you know, sci-fi-ish or is it seen as, you know, important and, and you know, entirely valid question to be looking at. I just wonder what kind of response you get from other scientists to the work that you do. Well, it's certainly true that working on anything to do with aliens is hazardous to your career, I would say, still. And, you know, it is, it is, it is a very interesting point. So I have a, uh, well, at least I think I have a secure tenured position as a full professor. And the, um, the student I worked with Tom Westby, he already has a job being a lecturer in mathematics. So I would not let, for example, a PhD student work on this kind of a project, at least not yet, because of the fact that it actually 
considered to be by many people, you know, outside the mainstream astronomy. But I think that is changing a little bit. There, there, there's more and more going on within astronomy and within science to to answer these kind of questions. But this is always the way that science works. For example, we now have cosmology, the origin of the universe, and that is now like a central part of astrophysics and physics. It's it's mainstream. But not so long ago, the early 20th century and even the mid-20th century, it was considered to be a fringe field, and it was considered to be something that you know you shouldn't really work on because it's not real astronomy, not real physics. But because of changes in terms of what we're able to do with cosmology, uh, it's became part of the mainstream. So I actually think that this will be true also for searches for alien civilizations, that uh, one day it will become a mainstream part of uh, astronomy. But right now, yeah, you have to be very careful working on these kind of topics. Thanks so much, Chris, for joining us. It's been fascinating. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Chris. We'll include a link to the article I wrote about Chris's research on the Science Weekly page at theguardian.com. And please do keep sending in your COVID-19 related questions. We'll be back with another two episodes next week. Go in peace. Goodbye. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.